Ronananian. I've said it for years. We've been talking about it for a very long time. And it's something I felt, gee, 20 years ago when I saw where computers were taking over cars, that there was going to be a shortage of mechanics. But now it's sort of sticking right in our face. We are all, by any practical definition of the words, foolproof and incapable of error. The Car Doctor. If you look nationally, it's 76600 annually. Uh, and we're just talking about cars. I tried to narrow this down to the art because you can go all kinds of directions with mechanics. This is the, just the automotive technician who's working on family cars in the garage. I can see you're really upset about this. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now... This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. Here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ronnie Danny and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number, 855-560-9900. Call, leave a message if there is no answer. And sometimes even if Tom's here, there is no answer. Um, 855-560-9900 is a 24-7 phone number. Justifies and uh, leaves a message. And Tom will call you back and uh, put you in the next queue for the next live broadcast. We are live starting out on the radio network through our affiliate chain, Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. East Coast time here in the continental United States. I have to qualify all that now. It used to be a lot easier, 25, 26, 27. How many years? You know, Tom, we didn't talk about how it's... I think we have another anniversary coming up soon. Um, I just realized that. I, I, I counted on my fingers, toes, and... and yes, and, the end of the month. End of the month. Is, I think it's the 27th. I'll have uh, to take a look back. But we're on air how many... We're on air six or seven independent, and then 1991, January... January. See, for me, I look at January 2nd, 1991, which is when I first started. So that makes it 91, 2000. What is it? 28 years. 28 years. Two more years, I get to retire. So... We're going to Sizzler. And, and, you know, you're only 39 years old. That's I, the amazing I, thing. I don't understand it. I just, you know. You know you know what the funny part is about this radio show? Excuse me, folks. I was picking up lunch today, right? And the guy in the deli, Paul, he's he's talking to me. And, you know, you kind of get to know people after a while. He, you know, and he's, oh, is the shop closed today? Yeah, the shop's closed today. He goes, oh, he goes, Gee, you're buying a lot of food. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's I got to feed the boys. I got to feed the crew. And he says, what crew? And I said, well, because I, you know, do a Rudy show on Saturdays. And he was like, you do a what? And I said, I do a Rudy show on Saturdays. You know, you don't, you kind of don't want to get into this. You don't want to have this conversation. So he goes, what do you mean you do a radio show? And I explained. I said, well, you know, I, you know, I, and you know, and I made the mistake. I forgot that there were other people in the deli. This was a bad thing, right? So there's a guy, two people back with this 2012 Ford E250 van. And he comes up and he says, you're who? And I went, uh-oh. That's why I was late getting back, fellas. <laughs> right? And Paul never saw me do this, the owner. So I, this, this, this gentleman's telling me he's got this 2012 E250 and the brake pedal goes down low to the floor and Ford can't fix it and he's got all these problems. I said, Paul, you got a piece of paper? He gives me a piece of paper and I start drawing diagrams. Circles and arrows and, you know, 27, 8 by 10 color glossy pictures, the whole thing. And I explained to the guy how the ABS system works, and the guy's just sitting there like this, you know, and he's looking back and forth, and you can see the sweat coming up, and he's just like, wow. <laughs> and I said, who's working on this? He goes, oh, the Ford dealer. I said, oh, who's, who's your technician? He goes, gee, I don't know. I said, well, go in and have so-and-so or so-and-so work on it. They're the two sharpest techs up there, and they'll fix it and give them my diagram. And if they have any questions, just tell them you saw the car doctor, and they'll know how to find me, and we can talk about it. And I walked out. 
you know, when you do that, it's just like you can hear in the background, you know, who was that masked man, right? You know, you can hear, you know, you can hear it going off in your head because the guy goes, wow, it really makes sense. This will fix the truck. It's only been seven months, and I almost that's when I almost tripped walking down the stairs, and that's why you guys almost didn't get lunch back today. Um, but it is it is kind of weird when that happens, but I do enjoy doing it. But yeah, twenty eight years on radio, I can't I, I can't I can't believe it. And now, Mike and I know why we had to enlarge the top of the door when you came in today. Well, that was because I was carrying your sandwich. Um, no, it's because yeah. your head got bigger. No, no, no. I listen. I really don't like to. You know what? I very I just don't like to. You know, I just like to. Just be. I just want to be. Listen, you got a car problem. I'm glad to talk to you about it. I just don't want to. You know, but I thought about this guy uh, with the van, and it, it kind of led me to my next Yellow Post rant, because I want to talk about why customers fail, because one of the things I, I, I said to this gentleman was, I said, did you explain the problem to them in depth? Did you tell them at this point, now that they've done four-wheel brakes, pads, rotors, calipers, that, you know, somebody needs to take a test ride with you. Did you, you know, he said, no. And I said, why not? And he goes, well, I didn't want to have him spend any more money. I don't want to run up the bill. But you've already got $4,500 into this truck. It still doesn't work. It's been out of commission off and on for the past seven months. You're a carpenter. It would have been cheaper for you to buy a new vehicle at this point. He goes, yeah, but now I can't afford to. I've lost all that work. <sighs> why do customers fail? I'll tell you my story. 2005 Honda. Arthur came in yesterday. I've seen Arthur once before. He's a consumer. He's not a customer. You know, he was a customer once, and, you know, I there's a line in the sand with me. There really is. Where I'll, I'll, I'll go to a point, and then I'm starting to question what we're trying to do. I'm trying to fix your car and take care of it the best way I know how. 2005 Honda Arthur's got, and he, he wants to get the oil change. Can I bring it in on Monday? And I want you to look over the car and, you know, see what it needs. And I said, well, I can't really do it Monday. Um, I could do it Tuesday. Well, I can't do it Tuesday. I said, what day can you do it? He said, I can either do it Monday or Friday. Okay, then I can do it Friday. I can do it a week from today, which was yesterday. It was Friday. Today's, we'll do it next Friday. He says, is that the soonest? Well, yeah, pretty sure. You know, if I can't, you know, and, and if you, if you, if I can't do it Monday and you can't do it Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, my guess is Friday's probably the next day. All right. Um, I could say something, but I'm trying to be nice. So we book it for Friday and look the whole car over. Well, you know, gee, Arthur, let me look. You know, the last time you were here in July, so it's been six months, I said, you know, the car was due for trans fluid change and the car was due for cooling service. Do you want to do that? Yeah, how much is that? And I said, oh, I added it up. I said, that's ah, about 250 bucks, 300 bucks, something like that, whatever it is. Nah, just do the oil change. So we went from... I want you to take the car on Monday, change the oil, and look it over and do what needs to be done to we're going to change the oil and do nothing, and we're annoyed that we're doing it on Friday because he can't do it on Monday because he wants what he wants when he wants it. All right? It's, 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 it's you know, I kept thinking about Abbott and Costello when he saw the monster. I, when I tell you I saw what I saw what I saw, I saw it. So he leaves. I go back to work. Fifteen minutes, the phone rings. That was Arthur. Hey, you know, I found somebody to do it on Monday. I'm going to cancel the. I'm going to cancel my appointment. Okay. Now, when his car breaks the next time, all right, and there's a problem, and you know he comes in and and am I obligated to give him an appointment? Do I really have to work with somebody like that? I don't think so. 
And the point becomes, why do customers fail? Customers fail because they fail to look at the bigger picture. They fail to look, and I guess they tell you who they are, is really what it's all about, too. They, they, they show you the relationship they wish to have. And I get it. Somebody out there is saying, hey, Ron, you're a jerk. You're wrong. You know, it's mechanics are nothing but a bunch of ripoff artists. No, not really. There's good and bad on both sides of the counter. The issue is dealing with an automobile today, there is a very concise and exact manner in which it's supposed to be maintained. And it doesn't matter what your pocketbook says. If the car needs this, then you have to make that decision, and you have to choose whether or not you want to service and maintain that car properly to get the distance and mileage out of it that the manufacturer recommends. And I, you know, I get it. Somebody out there is going, hey, Ron, I change my battery every eight years, and I never change my oil, and the car's still going. Yeah, I know, but your definition of what's a car and what my definition of what's a car is probably two different definitions, all right? You know, when, when you when you look at a car and it comes into a shop and you've, 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 you've got to do it, um, you, you know, you've got to understand, too, that uh, shops aren't stupid, not, not, not most of the ones I see, all right? We know, you know, I, I love it when somebody will bring you a car. They haven't been in in a while. And it's you're the only mechanic I trust, and you're the only guy I let work on my car. And by the way, I've got this check engine light on, and, and I need to get it diagnosed. And, you know, you haven't seen the person in two years. And you, you get in the car, and the oil change sticker is freshly removed. You can tell the glue is still on the windshield. And, gee, Arthur, why do you, uh, you know, is this car due for an oil change? No, I just had it done. They forgot to put the sticker on. Uh, because they went somewhere else. They've been going to somebody else. They were cheaper. They were quicker. They were faster. They had the appointment on Monday. And the person couldn't fix it, so then they bring it to you. Why do customers fail? I think it's a real timely topic. I think it's something that's got to get addressed. I think that, and listen, free country, last time I checked, until Trump builds the wall. And, you know, it's 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 still, you've got to decide what you're looking for in a mechanic and what you're trying to achieve. And if it's, you know, if it's speed and accuracy, if it's price, is it just overall how you were treated? But mechanics, the better ones, the smarter shops, are also looking for how the customers treat them. And after a while, it's going to come down to there's a shortage, and that's part of the issue why the guy couldn't get his oil change on Monday um, and to look the car over because there's just too much other work going on. I don't know. Maybe it's me. Maybe I, maybe customers fail because they're, they're they're destined to fail, and maybe that's their lesson. Maybe it's me. Maybe I should have accommodated the guy and given up lunch on Monday and just done something different. I don't know, but it's an interesting thing that, uh, you know what, it's a two-way street in terms of time. Time is the only thing that repair shops have to sell besides parts, and in that time is their knowledge and expertise. And uh, how they handle it is a reflection on the shop as well as the customer. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the car doctor cruising back right after this. Don't go away. Need advice on how to maintain that classic GTO? Ron is the guy. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. Hey, let's get on over and talk to Steve in Vermont. Steve, what's on your mind? Ron and Ian at your service, sir. Hi, Ron. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Uh, I'm just following up on a conversation you had last week with a listener regarding the Toyota rusty frame issue. Right, the truck frames, sure. Yes, and um, you said that you were not really quite sure why Toyota 
you know, didn't get as bad of a rap on such a huge problem, whereas perhaps, uh, you know, General Motors and maybe Ford uh, might get, get take beat up it more. pretty sure, hard absolutely. for the problems yep. they've had. Yep, yeah. I believe that. Um, but my my understanding, and I don't know everything there is to know about this, but my understanding is the way this whole thing with Toyota went down with these frames is that uh, there was no recall, to my knowledge, you know, no no uh, National Traffic Safety Administration recall or anything on these frames, is that Toyota uh, recognized that they had a problem with the frames. They stepped up, uh, and they put a comprehensive plan in place uh, where they either replaced the frames or they paid out some very generous um, uh, buybacks uh, for the, the whole trucks. So I think that maybe one of the reasons why they didn't perhaps get such a bad rap on it is because they really stepped up and took care of it. Okay. Um, I don't know if I think they stepped up, Steve. I think they did. They, they tried to, I believe, and I'd have to go back and research it, but I believe that some of the model years were recalled, and that led to the subsequent voluntary recall or the appearance of a voluntary recall by Toyota on the other parts. So here, let me give you a slightly different example, all right, okay. if I can. Um, I've got a customer with a 2012 Toyota RAV4. It's got 93,000 gentle miles on it. Has the oil changed on a very regular basis, all right? Correct oil, good filter, the whole nine yards. About a year ago, in the 82,000-mile mark, she started consuming oil. This is a little 12 RAV4 four-cylinder. She started mm -hmm. having an oil consumption issue. And when she went back and talked to Toyota, they said, yep, that's right. And the answer she got was that she needed rings. The rings were gummed up, and, and there were issues because Toyota has some issues, low-tension rings and oil control and yada, yada, yada. And it's really customer pay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're not talking about that one. You know, that, that just right. sort of went under right. the radar. And, and she's not the only one. I've got probably... Uh, you know, 8, 9, 10, 12, whatever the number is. Um, Toyota and Honda customers, both in a similar situation. Honda is recalling some of their vehicles and rebuilding the engines in-house in, in the dealer. Uh, you know, and it, whether it's, it's, it's the quality of oil, the filter, the frequency in between the changes, who knows, who cares? You know, and listen, I get what you're saying, all right? I think sometimes car companies do do the right things, and I think sometimes they're, they, they do stupid things. You know, it's it it's in Toyota's case. I think the government was leaning on them for the frames, and you know, it's let's make it a good PR day. Let's make it look like we're going to do this voluntarily. Have well, you, have, be, go ahead. Yeah, being up here in Vermont, of course, we have uh, the salt factor, and uh, so I can tell you that my local Toyota dealer here in my town, uh, when they started this whole thing, they had a field that was as big as a football field at least, full of uh, trucks that people had turned in. Now, these are these were the ones that were going to, that they bought back. Right. Um, additionally, you know, they, they changed a lot of frames. Um, and I'm a small business owner where my office is here. Uh, I happen to have a uh, recycling facility down below me. So I have seen hundreds of these Toyota frames, the rusted ones, going down to the recycling plant down here by my shop. And the thing that baffled me about this whole Toyota frame issue was how many years it went on. 
uh, I, I just it seems as though they would continue to build trucks with bad frames with, with bad frames <laughs> yeah. and, and continue to replace them. Yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't that part of it. I, I just don't understand because it's it's been many, many years that they've done this. Um, and it's kind of a related sidebar in my business. I have, uh, I don't know, I think we've, we've got about 18 uh, GM pickups and vans, three-quarter ton vans, pickups and things like that. Now, I've had uh, four or five of those that I've had to pull off the road because the frames were bad on them. No other reason um, why I couldn't continue to run them, but up here in Vermont, once the frame is bad, they're not allowed to be patched. So right. Right. we have to take them off the road. Right. How, how so, old were those? How old were those GM vehicles? Uh, 10, 11 years old. Right. How many miles on them? About? We are kind of a low mileage company. I'd say in that time frame, we've got about one hundred and ten thousand on them. Yeah, it's not enough. Right, and I no. agree. GM should do something. Right, GM should step yeah. up to the plate. And yeah. you know, their their argument is. Their argument is, well, you know, it's 11 years old. Yeah. Right. Horse hockey. Exactly. And it's in, uh, it's in Vermont. And, right. Um, now, I don't know if this is true either, but someone told me that whoever made the frames for Toyota also made them for the small GMs like the Canyons and, and those trucks. And I, I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard that myself. You know, yeah. it's it's... Unfortunately, you know, and I'm a small businessman too outside of radio, and I, I, I try to do things, you know, both ethically and clearly and fairly, and, and, and I try to be fair to myself, and I try to be fair to the customer too. Uh, you know, but un unfortunately in big business, they, they you know, it, it's, it's dollars at a level that it's hard for guys like you and I to understand and, 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 and relate to, and, and I think that's part of the issue too. Um, you know, when I come back, I'm going to let you go. Tom, you can, or Steve, I'm sorry, you can listen to the rest of it. When I come back, I'll tell you a story about the 04 Suburban that, uh, you know, kind of baffles me, too. It's sort of along the lines of these frames uh, that are corroding. Um, in any event, Steve, I appreciate the call. I'm Ronald Eaney and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. We're back right after this. Don't go away. Name the car doctor, 855-560-9900 is the phone number. Give us a call, 24-7 number. Tom will put you in the queue if we're not here. Uh, leave a message, and we'll get back to you. I got the mail today, and what the heck is this? This came to me from Ford. Uh, you know, dear Ron, hope you're loving your 2018 Explorer. It's a little pull-out tab. comes out of an envelope, and it says, let's see, driving your new vehicle will even be more satisfying once you download Ford Pass. To help you find parking and select cities, fuel, and so much more, flip out the card to get started. It only takes a few minutes to register. More technology, right? And let's see here. Download, register, done. Scan this CR code. Activate your connection. Ford Pass. Amplify your ownership experience. Well, if the car works, I'll be thrilled. Schedule service appointments. Make car payments. Remotely unlock and start your vehicle. Now with voice commands through Ford Pass Alexa skill. Find, reserve, and pay for parking in select cities. The problem is it doesn't really tell you what to do after... I'm going to have to get a young person to show me this. Michael, what are you doing after the show today? We'll have to, uh, um, you know, whew. I'm going to hand this out to the boys in the control room. We'll get rid of that. Uh, you know, listen, I because you look at that, right, and this is what kind of got me on this, right? 
I was reading a copy of Chevy Classics uh, last night. I, I brought this with me to the studio today. And it's an article about the, the Texas Snowman. And I realize all oh, you guys a story about the Suburban. Give me a minute. So there's a guy in Texas. He's got the most beautiful Dusk Pearl Nomad, 57, two-door. The Nomad was in its final year as a two-door model, starting with the 58 uh, model year. The Nomad became a top-of-the-line four-door and sold in far greater numbers. Only 6,103 57 Chevy Nomads were built. And it talks about how in the mid-1950s, General Motors, anybody want to guess how much of the car market General Motors had in, in, in the 50s? What do you think? Tom, 50%? Yeah, right on the mark. GM had 50% of the car market, which now I, I haven't looked lately, but the last time I looked a while, I think it was like under 18%. They've, they've lost that much. And you've got to think there's more cars on the road now, right, uh, you know, to make it a bigger deal. Um, but the article goes on, and I was just reading it for a second. It's like it takes you back. The 56 and 57 Chevrolet passenger car lines were built on the foundation of the 55, and significant restyling made the 57 model easily distinguishable from its predecessors. However, styling changes alone are not all Chevrolet had to offer for this model year. Chevrolet's chief engineer, Harry Barr, who wrote the foreword to the 57 Chevrolet Engineering Features Manual, I'd like to have some of this literature right now, right? I mean, this stuff would be neat to read. Okay, stated, new 283 cubic inch displacement engine, cubic inch, new, I'll take take two, let me get my mouth working, new 283 cubic inch displacement V8 engine, wow, a V8, the turbo glide luxury automatic transmission, a fuel injection system of revolutionary design, and numerous chassis improvements are illustrative of the mechanical advances available to the customer in 1957. And think of how simple those cars were. Or were they that simple to work on? All right? And you look at the computer cars today and you say, eh, you know, I don't know. It doesn't uh, doesn't make sense. But just neat stuff. I love this magazine. It just takes you back to a very, very simple time. We were talking a little bit before the break to Steve up in Vermont about the Toyota frames rusting out. And you know what? They just, the car companies just, there's just strange things that happen. My 04 Suburban, 2004 Suburban, I think it's just got about 64,000 miles on it. And, you know, so think about 04, so was it 04, 14, the car's 16 years old, 17 years old, right? 04, it's just about, it's just about 16 years old now. And, you know, here's a car that's been pampered and, and, and washed more times than I can imagine and waxed. And, I mean, the first day we had it, it was three hours old. We were out, we washed it, and I waxed the whole truck. Uh, you know, this truck has never, this truck is barely seen, I won't say never, but it's barely sees bad weather, wet weather, salt, corrosion, etc. There's a rust blister. You ever look at the back of, there's two vehicles I can say I see this on. Chevy Suburbans and Ford Explorers. All right. Foolishly, I bought an Explorer, but it's a little different body style. The older body styles, the 08s, the 09s, that body style. You ever look at that body style Explorer? Next time you're at a traffic light and you pull up behind it, Look at the little plastic panel that's above the license plate. It's going to have a crack on the left side. They all do it. I don't know why, but they all do it. They all crack on the left side. I don't know if it's because you push the, the tailgate down, and over time it just cracks the panel, but I, I see it on every one that I come across. My 04 Suburban has a problem where it's got a rust blister, a huge rust blister, around the push button in the back of the automatic door, the you know the hatch. And it's just, it's raised the paint up to the point that 
it's it's I'm going to have to get it painted. The sad part is that if I open the hatch and I look underneath the edge where the 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 it sits against the body seal, it's all rusted there too. So I guarantee you the entire inside of the door is rotted. This is a car that and I'm not kidding. If I if I washed it and brought it by, you wouldn't believe this truck is 16 years old. It's that shiny and clean. I loaned it to one of the children units the other week I was servicing her car, and she had to go somewhere, and she went out to lunch somewhere in the valet, took the car keys, and he was just shy. He said to her, he goes, boy, we never see 04 Suburbans that look like this. Um, you know, he was a mechanic during the day. She was out at night, and uh, he, he said, it's really nice. He goes, we just like these old body styles, and it's just so refreshing to see something in, in this kind of shape because it's, it's got 65, 64,000 miles on it. But point becomes General Motors, I don't know, like, what did I do wrong? Is it, you know, the hatch is just rusting and falling away. It's withering into nothing. And yet I see other Chevrolet Suburbans and, and, and the like, Trailblazers, they all seem to do it. Do I condemn GM? I don't think you can. I don't think you can, uh, you know, I think it happens. I think it's things beyond their control, and I think their argument of it's 16 years old. Would I like it not to have happened? <laughs> yeah, great. I'd like to be 18 again, too. That's not going to happen either. Um, but it's just, you know. Bad things happen to good vehicles, whether the frames rot out, the back hatches rot out, the spoiler tab cracks, and you just hope that you get a vehicle that uh, you know is going to be a good one in other areas because everything has its problem, and that's part of this conversation too. Everything has its failures, and and if you think every vehicle is going to be perfect forever, then it's 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 not a car, and it it, it just doesn't work like that. So let's do a quick piece of email, and then we'll pull over and take the pause. Hey, Ron, a couple of issues with antifeeds. I, I like the way and this is from Nathan. I love the way Nathan wrote this. It's like a scientific explanation of what goes bad with antifeeds. I've been talking about it a little bit past couple of weeks. Foremost is that regardless of co- formulation, it alters the coefficient of friction. There's a fancy way of saying how it affects things sliding together between the two metal threaded surfaces. Basically, antifeeds acts of any sort will end up functioning incidentally as a lubricant between these surfaces. The classic silver anti-seize, usually made of a mixture of particles of glass and metal suspended in a heavy grease. A few drops of oil of any sort, grease, even thread-holding compounds, lock lactate, whose purpose is almost diametrically opposed, diametrically opposed to that of anti-seize, will serve to decrease the amount of torque required to achieve a given level of clamping force between surfaces. This is like being beat up by Webster's Dictionary, all right? This dramatically increases the risk of fastener or thread failure as well as that of surface deformation, brake rotors warp, which is commonly caused by over-tightening lug lug nuts in an application such as a wheel or axle bearing this over-tightening can cause early failures. Well, yeah, I know that. Um, We don't like lug, we don't like anti-seize on lug nuts. Um, ah, You know, let me pull over and take the pause. I'll finish this when I come back. I'm Ron and don't go away. Whether it's a little red Corvette or a Yugo, you've come to the right place to get that car fixed. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Let's just finish up our email. I'm trying to do an email here from Nathan about anti-seize. Nathan goes on to point out, he says, an additional ex- issue exists with anti-seize with classic silver. When the grease that serves as a carrier fl- fluid dries, the tiny metallic and glass particles that are primarily working ingredients can get into the machinery. These particles are highly abrasive and cause serious damage. This issue can also cause ablation, A-B-L-A-T-I-O-N. I'm telling you, I'm getting beat up by Webster here of threads, but this isn't likely except with low-quality fasteners or those too small to be likely locked 
to be likely to lock up. Yeah, I agree, Nathan. I, I think anti-seize has changed a lot. The formulation is different. I think that using it blind on vehicles today is a mistake. I think it's a case-by-case basis, and it depends on how the vehicle and where the vehicle is going that will determine how much of it I use. We um, we used to put it, oh, God, it's been it's got to be 18 years since we last put anti-seize on lug nuts, uh, especially on plow vehicles because of the change in formulation. And I agree. At times, you think you do need anti-seize, but whatever happened, the formula did change. Um, ablation. Ablation of threads. Um, that one just got me. So I want to get to this one. This one's for Tim. Tim checking in. Ron, I pulled the engine on my 2000 Chevy Venture and resealed the heads and upper and lower intake. I also put in a new transmission. It's a 3400 engine. It runs but dies. It has a code P0102. Mass airflow low. I've checked powers and grounds. Reference voltage of 5 volts. Also put a news mass air and still won't run any ideas. Tim. Yeah, Tim, listen. If you're out there listening... If it runs, but it won't idle, all right? Sounds like we've got a vacuum leak somewhere. We've got something the computer can't compensate for. Now, ideally, this is something that I would love to take a smoke machine and put some smoke down the intake throat and look to see, do we have leaks anywhere? I don't think you're going to have an intake machine, you know, in your house. So let's try and do the next best thing. Let's get the vehicle to run, get it warm, let it start, and let's get a mechanic stethoscope. You're going to have to spend some money somewhere. You're going to have to buy something. And let's listen around. You know, does it sound like a hiss somewhere? Does it sound like we're, we're, we're losing vacuum, which is going to affect uh, not only fuel trim, but also mass airflow sensor flow? If you look at fuel trim, warmed up, off idle, 1,500 RPM, where is it? If this has a decent-sized vacuum, we can try and back the idle speed down lower so that you're, you know, close to the idle range, 800, 1,000 RPM as you can be. And, you know, start to pay attention to fuel trim. Where does fuel trim go? Take a look at it on a scan tool. Got to have a scan tool, brother. Um, you know, what does that tell you? Where is it going? This sounds to me more like it's a vacuum leak than anything else. Something wasn't reassembled right. Now we've got to go through the pain of eliminating that to understand it. One last thing. Make sure or stop and consider, boy, this would be a great case of a smoke test to be able to smoke this to see what this looks like. Um, but, you know, let's, let's, let's start with basics first and uh, kind of take it from there. You know, it's, it's, I don't think it's a sensor. You've proved that. Let's think outside the box where we're going to go. We've got low mass airflow. Um, do we have a crack in an intake duct? Is there a problem with any of the engine plumbing elsewhere before the mass air that it's it's creating this particular issue? 855-560-9900. I'm running the the car doctor. I'll be back right after this. Hey, tons of email coming in. Ron and the car doctor. Let's uh, see if we can clear up before we uh, leave today. Hey, Ron, Happy New Year. I know this is not Berryman B12, but I thought you might want to know about this deal on Techron at half price from Advanced Auto Parts. I don't know if there are times you might prefer Micah from Maine. You know what, Micah? Yeah, listen, I think Techron's a decent fuel system cleaner. I really do. I don't think it's as good as Berryman. Okay, it doesn't matter the price. Maybe Advanced is selling it cheap because, uh, you know, maybe there's a problem with, uh, well, whatever. Um, I don't want to get into that. Uh, you know, if the question is, is there times I might prefer Techron versus Berryman? No, not really. Um, I think, you know, Berryman, I think Techron is more of a maintenance type of uh, cleaner, where Berryman, to me, is a maintenance and problem solver, and I prefer to use Berryman regardless, uh, just because it does a better job overall, and it's 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 got some real good things in there. The HEST, the higher energy solvent technology is what sets Berryman apart from other fuel system cleaners like Techron. 
Um, you know, remember what I say, okay? It's, you know, fuel system cleaners are only as good as the company behind them and only as good as the engineering that make them. And I think Berryman right now is the leader of the pack. I think they've got the edge over everybody else. And they're constantly adapting and changing. And that's that's one of the things you've got to remember about Berryman, uh, you know, is that the fuel that we're using today is different than the fuel that, fuel that we were probably using three months ago, that we were using a year ago. And they've got to come up with different additives and, and different formulations of Berryman B12 as well as their line of fuel system and, you know, uh, cleaning products for around the car, around the shop. And, you know, that's what sets them apart. It's You're buying the engineering just as much as you're actually buying the physical product to, to, to allow it to adapt to changes of whatever it is it's working on. In Berryman's case, it's uh, that of gasoline. Uh, use the Berryman, Micah, regardless of the price. Remember, you get what you pay for. Folks over at Motorcraft are busy. Um, I got this announcement that, and we talk about the PSN, and a lot of people say to me, hey, Ron, what's Motorcraft PSN? They don't really know. So, you know, Ford, Ford Motorcraft, Ford Parts Motorcraft, and Omni Parts, they've got something called the Professional Service Network, or PSN. Um, the PSN from Ford Motorcraft and Omnicraft is all about service centers, independent repair shops that are using Ford Motorcraft or Omnicraft parts that, you know, have a bunch of things available to them, you know, to help them compete and provide a better repair experience. Uh, you know, they've now made some changes where they're going to help repair shops uh, acquire Identifix and other information systems. They're going to provide discounts on, you know, repair shop software, on their Rotunda software, uh, Dell computer discounts, you know, Hewlett Packard discounts. All courtesy of the folks, and, you know, they're arranging this program, Ford Parts, Motorcraft, Omnicraft. And, you know, it, it, it comes back to they're really working hard to build a better independent repair shop, which you think about it, they're working hard to build a better independent repair shop experience for both the consumer and the repair shop and make sure that that vehicle you drive, whether it's a Ford product or anything else, uh, you know, out on the road, uh, GM, GM, Chrysler, Toyota, Honda, etc. You know, using Omnicraft. So I, I think it's a, a a heck of a step forward for Ford in that they're continuing to expand the professional service of the PSN network. Um, you know, more information at FordPSN.com. Um, you know, to talk about it. Now they're they're creating a, a separate elite membership versus. Uh, you know, a, a standard membership so that as repair shops grow, they can take advantage of, 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 of more programs. So uh, we thank the guys from uh, Ford PSN for that, FordPSN.com. Jay, I didn't get to my last email. I wanted to read this email from uh, Michael about the 98 Sienna that uh, called in. We were going to talk about, um, you know, servicing it and uh, some of his ideas. It's interesting. You talk to somebody from Texas, right away they tell you, hey, it's not it's not a bad deal. Just put three, $4,000 in the car, drive it another 200,000 miles. That's what we do down here at Texas Way. God bless the Texans, right? God bless Texas. I think that's the way that works. And until the next time, I want to remind each and every one of you that I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.